Welcome back to the Ethnos New Brunswick podcast. This week, our friend Gonzalo from Orlando will be sharing about his life and his relationship with Jesus. Listener discretion is advised as his retelling contains elements of crime and violence. And now, I turn it over to you. Today, we have the special opportunity to hear from one of our leaders in the Florida region. Um, Gonzalo is his name, and he is in the Orlando area. If you are fans of Orlando, especially Disney World, yeah, that's his backyard. He was telling me, I think, door-to-door, it g- takes him about 15 minutes to get to Disney World uh, with no traffic. That's, that's pretty awesome, right? Those of you, you know, you'll be there, you'll be there, okay, all right. And he has Disney Plus, too, just in case you're wondering. Yeah, Disney Plus. I guess, I guess people do that in Orlando. Does it come with living in Orlando? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? He'll, be, he'll tell us all about it. But uh, it's funny because uh, as he was getting, uh, as I was picking up from the airport, he's all, Yukon, just in case you forget what I look like, he texted me a picture of himself, and it was a picture of Baby Yoda from the most recent, like, <laughs> if you're into Disney+, Plus, if you're not into that, don't worry. Um, so anyways, uh, needless to say, Gonzalo is a, uh, a warm-hearted, fun person. Uh, but Gonzalo also has a story to share with us today, not just about the Christmas story, but also about his story. And I'm, I'm just so excited that Gonzalo is here because I think um, we as a community here in New Brunswick, but also as a family of different spiritual communities around the world, uh, it's, it's a privilege to have a leader like Gonzalo. So let's give it up for Gonzalo. And Gonzalo, uh, welcome. And I'm just going to turn it over to you. All right, let's give it up for Gonzalo. Let's give him a warm welcome. Thank you. It's uh, an amazing privilege to be here. Um, and uh, so, yeah, my name is Gonzalo. Um, but some people call me Pastor G because it's easier to remember that instead of Gonzalo. So that's <laughs> a bit more rare name. But it, it honestly is, is an honor. And I remember uh, talking to Yukon and just, uh, and even saying, like, you know, what do I talk about? What do I do, right? And uh, one of the things that I really wanted to share um, was just talk about the birth of Jesus, you know, a lot of times we know that on the holidays, you know, uh, the suicide rate goes up. We know depression goes up, um, addiction. Just you know, a lot of times it just it just it gets worse because of the stress. Um, and a lot of times when we look at, at the birth of Jesus, or we hear about the birth of Jesus, or we see a nativity scene of the birth of Jesus, we're like, oh, so cute, you know, like oh, that is so cute, right? And so, and, and it's like, and. and but when you read the scriptures, when you read um, the Bible, and you see and you hear about the birth of Jesus, it wasn't beautiful. And, and, and a lot of times, and but if we don't know that. A lot of times it, it like separates us from the truth of Jesus, of who Jesus is, and what Jesus came for. You see, Jesus came in a broken world. He came to a broken world. He stepped from his throne. God came from that to this earth. And imagine that in the verses it talks about how there was no room in the end for Jesus to be born. So they had him in a manger like that, right? In a feeding trough where, they, where the animals feed from. Imagine an infant is in there. That was his place. That was his birth. It was cold. It was uncomfortable. 
And they said that they, they wrapped them in swaddling cloths. And that mean, basically what that means is a bunch of just straps of fabrics. And they wrapped him in that. That was his beginning. That is the king of kings. That is his beginning. And I sit there and I wonder because, you know, when growing up, I, I would feel like this separation between what is going on in my life, the tragedies in my life, my weaknesses, my burden, my addictions, my hatred, my bitterness from the nativity scene, from the birth of Jesus, of who Jesus is. But now that I know that, it, it, it brings perfect with what I'm going to share about my testimony shortly before I go into the message. Uh, but it is the message. In the aspect where I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, I, uh, I'm of Mexican descent, and but I grew up around Puerto Ricans. I grew up about around African Americans, just around everybody, right? <laughs> Chicago's a melting pot, and um, it's it's a great place. And but and I grew up in the hood. I grew up in Section Eight apartments in in, in the ghetto, and uh, there wasn't any Airbnb uh, there. <laughs> I guarantee you that. And there probably still isn't any right now. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't even think you probably pay people to go and stay there. But, but I was born in a very dangerous hood. But the thing about the hood where I was born and raised is that everybody knew each other. So even though it was the hood, even though it was ghetto, even though it was Section A apartments when they were pretty high, pretty up high buildings, uh, we knew each other. We knew who drove what. We knew what shift they worked and different things like that. But I grew up with a, with a father who was abusive. I grew up with a woman beater. Uh, he would beat my mom horribly, just like just horribly. He was be he would beat her like he was just um, ending her life. That was that was my that was how I grew up witnessing my father do those things. My father was an alcoholic. My father was a very violent man, and so and but my. What I didn't know is that my father was a trauma, traumatized man as well. My father witnessed his father be murdered. And a lot of that hatred was just in my family. I come from a long line of murderers um, in my family. And the cycle has just continued in our family repeatedly. And as I grew up that way, I grew up with a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, a lot of emptiness, a lot of bitterness. And my mother... Um, was so busy being a, a, an abuse victim. And, um, and she would abuse us uh, emotionally, mentally, verbally. Um, and um, that, was our, that was my life growing up. And um, as I got older, uh, my brother was involved in a homicide, went to prison. Um, things spiraled out of control. Our family was in danger for the situation that my brother was involved in. Um, our family was hugely in danger, and they almost ended my life as a child. And as we moved around from place to place, hoping for a new future, the problem was that nothing would change because you can move from location to location, but if the inside don't change, you're still going to live in that hell. You're still going to live in that ghetto. The ghetto wasn't the outside part. It was the internal part that was going on in our lives. And, and, so, and so I grew up bitter. And, um, and because of that, I ended up joining the gang. I made the decision to join the gang, to follow in the footsteps that many people in my family were in. And so I joined the street gang. Um, and as I joined this gang, I quickly moved up the ranks. 
Um, I did a lot of violent crimes uh, fast. Um, yeah, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of horrible things that I regret to this day. And the more, the more people I hurt, the more I damage the community, the more I wanted to go because it never satisfied. I was just that dark, that hurt, that broken. And I, um, as time went on, I became the leader of the street gang. And as I became the leader of the gang, um, I ran three different cities uh, for my gang. Um, we did very violent things, um, shootings, stabbings, fire bombings, uh, just to name a few. And, and I never satisfied. I had, I had money. I had people. I controlled blocks. I knew the schedule that the police officers had, so I knew how to move people and shift them like if it was a, a, chess, a, chess, pe a chess board. And um, I ended up going to federal prison because of the crimes that we had committed uh, as a gang. And in federal prison when I went, I, it, wasn't the you know, I w it wasn't the situation where I go to prison and I, and I, uh, and I change my life, you know, and, and, and I seek Jesus and all this stuff. It, it didn't pan out that way for me. Um, I was angry when I went into prison, and uh, when I went into prison, I, I started hurting more people in prison. I started doing things for the Mexican Mafia in prison and, and, and just doing different things that it wasn't satisfying, but it was still moving me up ranks. I was, again, looking for position, looking for power, looking for something that would fill me because there was a void that I could never fill and a hatred and a bitterness that was just eating me alive. And um, as I continued in, in, in prison, it got to the point where I couldn't even look in the mirror no more. Uh, when I would wash my hands, I would just keep looking down. And I would just wash my hands and dry them up and, and move on my day. And, it was, and it, was, it was crazy because how that went on for months. And I had, like, it's like my mind lied. I, I lied to myself that everything was okay, even though I didn't want to see my face. And then one day, I'm running on the, on, the, on the prison yard, and I'm just jogging. And I'm jogging. I'm working out. And I wouldn't stop running. And there's salt, you know, like there's salt coming out. I'm dehydrated. And then I finally stopped after a while. And, and I started drinking water. And uh, after I'm done drinking water, it was the scariest feeling ever. Um, but in that moment, it felt like I wasn't even in control. Um, and I remember just after I'm done drinking water, I'm like, I'm going to commit suicide today. And I remember feeling a sense of this is the best thing I could ever do to myself. Just take my life today. I'm no good anyways. I'm not satisfied with the things I've done, the thing, you know. And so I went into my prison, uh, back into my unit. And uh, when I went to the prison shower, um, I had a moment to snap out of it. And I remember I just started crying. And I cried, and I was like, I was like, God, I don't deserve you. I don't deserve anything. I have so much blood in my hands. But I'm tired. I'm tired, Lord. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of just... Tired of me. And I said, God, please fill this void that is in me because it's killing me. It's eating me alive. I don't know what to do, Lord, but I, I just need you. And I remember I was praying and I was like, I was like, God, I don't even want to go home. 
Lord, if you could just please fill me with you. I just need some love, Lord. I just, I'm sorry for everything that I've done. And I remember I cried and cried because I knew I was going to end my life after that, after I took that shower. And, and I remember I, I prayed. and I, It was the realest prayer I had ever given in my life. And I said, God, please, I'll do 10 more years in prison even, even if I have to. It don't matter. Just please change me. I'm tired. I'm tired, Lord. How many of you have been tired of just things in life before? Thank you for raising your hand. And um, and that was a situation I found myself. I, and I remember I prayed, and I prayed, and I confessed everything that I had done to this invisible God. And, and I prayed the hardest prayer I could ever give. And at the end of the prayer, I, I felt nothing. And I, and I remember, I, like, this prayer was just a few minutes ago, and I was like, God, I don't feel anything different. But I still love you. I'm still sorry. I'm thankful for the things that you've done in my life that maybe I have not been grateful for. And I'm sorry for what I'm, what I'm going to do. And I remember I just cried and just hopelessness, just hopelessness. And just, I just needed a savior. And that moment I cried and cried. And then after I walk out of that shower, I go into my prison cell. And I'm just sitting there by myself full of tattoos, as, as you can see there. And, um. And I had, a, I had a reputation in prison and in the streets, and, and I, was, I was dead. I was dying. I was drowning in my own misery. And um, I remember I'm sitting there, and I'm changing. And all of a sudden, I felt like it meant, the best way I can describe it, because it was such a supernatural, such an alien feeling to me. And all of a sudden, I started feeling just this amazing, euphoric feeling in my heart. And it was like it was just it was like it was like this thickness that like just starting to spread around my heart, and no drug, no alcohol, no pleasure that I've ever experienced in my life could come near to the high to the feeling I was feeling in that moment. And it was so powerful that I started to cry. And I knew it was God. It was no, it, it, there was no doubt. It was God. And it, you know, why it was so weird for me? That was a sad truth. It was such a weird feeling for me because I never, I never experienced true love in my life. My father never told me he loved me. He never hugged me. He never, he never held my hand. He never said, son, I love you. None, none of those things. And my mother didn't either. So I had my own understanding and my own interpretation of what love was. And what I knew what love was from what the, in the hood and in my gang they had taught me even as, in growing up. And, what, and even in the music that I would listen to, and it would tell me that was the, lo- the way love went. And, um, and it was such a powerful feeling. And I cried, and I cried. And I remember just in that moment as I'm crying, and I, it, the only words that could come out of my, wor- my mouth were, why me? Why? Why? Why me? Why? Because it was so amazing. I just felt his love. And I remember I just kept crying and crying and crying as this, it's just his, his love and his presence just, just in, uh, surrounded me, engulfed me. And I cried, and the only words that I heard were, my children, my children, take care of my children. And even though those were the only words that I heard from God in that moment, I knew that I would be a pastor someday, even though I never grew up in a Christian church. And I cried because of just like, who am I? Why me? 
But his love remained. That feeling remained. And I gave my life to Christ in that prison cell that day. And um, I grabbed that blade. I had a blade. And I threw it in the trash. And things didn't get easier. Things got rough because imagine being a hitman for, for a mob, for a crew, and, and being a leader in the streets. And so, and all of a sudden, you're a Christian. I mean, it's, it's not like you can get a hall pass and they're going to be like, okay, you're good, man. Like, as long, as long as you're a Christian, you're good. Even though you know about so many crimes and so many bad things, you're okay. We trust you. Go ahead. Just don't tell anybody. And so it doesn't work that way, man. And so, um, and, and so things got rough. They started testing me um, to do certain things um, that I can't speak about, but just, and I wouldn't do them no more. Before I was so broken, so angry, so hurtful that I would gladly volunteer for these. And, and before, and now I'm just like, no. And I wouldn't do them. And so before I knew it, there was a, there was a green light, which is what they call is, is, is a hit on you. You're marked for death. And I remember after finding out that there was a green light on my life by my own friends, by my own crew, by the own people that I had done stuff for them, um, I remember coming back to my prison cell and, and getting on my knees and crying. I'm like, God, it ain't supposed to work this way. Like, I just, I gave my life to you. Like, I, I'm devoted to you. But, like, what is this? Like, I mean, like, it's not getting any better. Like, what are you doing, you know? And I would pray and I would cry. And I'm like, Lord, please, man. Like, before I would handle my business, anytime I had a problem with somebody, I'd do it right there and then. And before, and now I'm like, I'm naked. I got no weapons. I got nothing. Lord, like, you help me. And, uh. I remember as uh, as I continue as that happened and as that continued, um, I remember the only words I would hear: "It's gonna be okay." And I would cry and I would cry, and uh, and I would be like, "But well, what do you mean, God? It's not gonna be okay because they've mocked me for death. It's not like they said, hey, we changed our mind. We're not gonna kill you anymore.' You know, it doesn't work that way either. And so, like, once they mark you, you're marked. And so. And the crazy part is that I was still growing in my faith, and I didn't know the God that was with me. And as I walked in that prison, and I'm scared. I'm scared, man. I'm terrified. And then other gangbangers are like, like, bro, you better check in. You better go and seek protection because they're going to end your life today. And I go back to my cell, and I'm like, God, they're about to kill me today. Like, what am I, what are you doing? Like, this is not the way it's supposed to work. And again, it's going to be okay. And I remember I, I just, I prayed and I cried with God and the feeling never left me. His love never left me. And I remember I said, you know what, it is what it is. I'm not going to check in. I'm not going to seek protection. And I was like, at least I'm going to go to the rec yard where they have gun towers and hopefully they can stop them in time. And that was my mindset, you know. And so I went out and as I walk in, my, in the rec yard, in the prison yard, um, it was it was so it was so heartbreaking because it was like everybody knew I was going to get hit that day and except for me. I mean I knew, but I wasn't supposed to know. And and so when I went to go uh, to the dip bar to do some dips uh, there in the rec yard, everybody got their stuff and left. Like if I was a leper, you know. And and, and then uh, like nobody wanted to be near me. 
And I remember I just wanted to break down and cry in that moment. I wanted to just like, I was like, Lord, just take me now. Like this, I can't do this. And then I see the, the guys that were going to carry the head, they were coming. And I just knew because I've, I was those people before. And so I knew they were coming and they're like, hey, uh, you're going to work out with us today, man. I knew. And I remember I'm doing my dips and I just stop and then I look down on the ground and I said, in my, and quietly to myself, I said, God, here I come. And I remember I walked with them. I, I worked out with them. And, and in that moment, I just, I finally look at one of them. I'm like, dude, just do what you need to do, man. Like, just quit playing with me. Just do it. I'm not even going to fight. Just do it. And it was crazy because one of the guys that was going to do it, um, it was, was the one running the yard. He himself volunteered to do it, be a part of it. And I remember, I just, I just, I just said, do, do what you need to do. I remember I raised my hands. My body was stiff, and I just closed my eyes, and I said, just go ahead, man. I'm done. I'm not even going to play along anymore. Just do what you need to do. And I remember in that moment, just trusting everything in God, just like, God, please. You said it was going to be okay. I'm trusting in you. And all of a sudden, nothing's happening. My eyes are closed. My body is clenched. Um, and um, they wouldn't do it. And all of a sudden, I open my eyes, and now I'm going into panic mode, and I, I just want to run. Uh, <laughs> and and then uh, and all of a sudden, I, I, they're talking to each other. And, and the, the one running, the leader, he's like, let me talk to the little homie alone. And they're like, what do you mean? Nah, this is not part of the plan. Like, he was angry that he didn't get to take my life. I mean, I would be happy if somebody forced me to do something like, you know, like, I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, oh, I guess, go ahead, you know, and I'd, you know, and they were angry that they didn't get to finish it, to do it, and so the, so they, so he kicks them away, tells them to leave, the leader stays, and he's talk, he's looking at me, and he says, I don't know why we hate you so much, he said, but he says, I need you to do me a favor, and I says, bro, and I, said, and I was like, I was just tired at, at that moment. I was just like, look, man, just do what you need to do, man. Like, I, I don't even want to talk no more. Just do it. And he's like, no, I'm going to make sure you go home, but I need a favor from you. And I was like, look, I'm not paying you nothing, man. <laughs> Straight up, I'm not going to pay you. <laughs> and, and, um, and then he's like, no, it's not that. He says, I need you to teach me how to read. He says, ever since you change your life or whatever you say. He's like, I've seen the difference. I see you reading, and I see you reading that book, man. And he's like, he wouldn't even call it the Bible. He just called it that book. And he's like, I've seen you reading that book. And he's like, he's like and I don't, need you, I don't tell nobody, like, but I need, you to, I need you to teach me how to read. And I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. And he had an attitude. He was, like, angry because he was risking so much in that moment. And so... I remember I was crying. I just started crying that moment because I was thinking, I was crying not because of the situation, but because of God in the situation. Because those words, it's going to be okay, started ringing really loud in my head. And I'm like, man, he knew this before I ever saw it happening. And so, and, and, and so, and then all of a sudden, so we and him become friends after he himself put the hit on me. We become best friends. And then I started teaching him how to read. And the book that we used was that book, the Bible. And as, and as that continued, his name is Danny Jimenez, we call him Snoop. And, and as that continued, that friendship, he finally told me months later, he told me that 
when they were about to stab me to take my life, he said all of a sudden he saw his face as a child on my face. And he said he couldn't hurt himself because he was abused as a kid. Um, and um, not knowing my, my testimony, not knowing my encounter with Jesus, and, and, and he said he couldn't hurt me. And so he couldn't explain it, but he said he needed time to think about it in his head. And as that time came, he's like, man, I really want to read. I really want to know about that book. Whatever this dude has changed and he's reading, if that's what happened. Because he said the face was, like, real to him. And, and he said he wasn't high. And all things, just, he says, my, you, your, your face turned into mine when I was a kid. And I couldn't hurt you. And um, we became best friends. He ended up receiving Christ. Me and him prayed in, in my cell. And he came to the faith. He's still in the faith. Um, he's free. He's now going to a church in, in South Central California. And um, he is risking his life every day because he is Mexican mafia, and yet he still doesn't partake in anything. Uh, but he, his, 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 his life has changed dramatically. And so I survived prison, and I come out of prison because of what God did in my life. And I come home to who was my baby's mama at the time, who I had two kids with her before I went to federal prison. And when I come out, I'm like, I just want to, I want to change my family. I want my family to be restored. I want Jesus to be at the center of my family. And so my wife ended up coming to faith later on. Um, my father and my mother were, they, 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 they were blind. They couldn't see it. They couldn't have it. And I finally had to draw the line one day on New Year's when they're all getting drunk. And, I'm, and they know I'm on federal probation. And, uh, and then I, I go and I hit the light switches, shut off all the power. And I said goodnight. And I went, and I went to sleep. And uh, they got mad. They left. And they got drunk somewhere else. The next day I called my mom and I said, Mama, I love you. I love you so much. But I have to draw the line. My family is different now, and I can't have them witness what I witnessed and I, what I went through in my life. And it says, and I pray that you find that love, but until then, I can't be around you guys if you're going to risk my freedom. But it's not even about me. It's about my children. It's about my now wife. And uh, they didn't understand it. They, we separated for my, me and my family for about a year. And uh, I loved them and prayed for them continually. And then uh, one day my mama calls me and she says, son, I love you. And she was crying. She's like, we're having a, 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 a cookout. She said, can you please come over? And I said, mom, you know my rules. And they're not my rules. I just, I just want my family to be okay. And I don't want them to see what I went through. I want to walk with you, as I told her. I want to help you guys. But you have to want it. And she says, we're ready, son. I promise there's not going to be any alcohol. There's not going to be any cussing. Please come over. And I cried with her on the phone. And we went. We had this grill out. There was no alcohol. There was no fighting. There was no cussing. And, and it was such an amazing time. And I remember just crying to God in the bathroom and just uh, at my mom's house just saying, thank you. Even if it's just this is the only time that they keep, thank you, God. Later on, my mom ended up coming to faith. She ended up getting baptized. God changed her. God changed my sister and her husband. They came to faith. They were baptized later on. Uh, my, 
my father fought it for many years. And then last year, in May, my sister calls me. And she says, your dad wants to be baptized. And she wants you to baptize him. And so I baptized my father. I've seen my father change. Um, the man that he is now is not the same one I knew back then. Um, he's always wants to, he always wants to hug me. Uh, I was talking to Yukon. He, he calls me through Messenger. I don't know why. He just likes to do that, even though he has service in his phone. Uh, and if you know Messenger, if, you don't have, if you're not on Wi-Fi, it's like crappy. Your phone call. But he always does it, and that's what he likes to do. And I'm like, Dad, you can call me on your phone. Like, it's just, you know, it's, but he likes to see my face, and so he'll even FaceTime and stuff. And, and he's, still, he's still like, I see God's heart being changed. My dad was a, just a very angry, abusive, bitter man. And now if you met him, people are like, what you used to share in your, te- you share in your testimony, they're like, it doesn't even look like him. Like, I, I don't even see him doing the things that you've said that he's done. Because God has changed him so much. And then so we talk on the phone now often, and, and he's just like, and, and he, he's like very awkward because he's still getting used to the whole, you know, being a dad thing. And so he's like, he just says things like, son, I love you. And I'm like, I love you too, dad, in Spanish. And so like, and then, and then he just gets quiet. <laughs> and I'm just like, and then it's like, and, then I, and I'm like, this is the part where you talk about other stuff, you know. And then, and then but that's my dad. And, and so like, and he's, he's so awesome, man. And like, and I thank God for that. And so we're going back on the holidays this Christmas. And I realized that I don't have any pictures with my father. And so I look forward to, to hugging, to talking, um, to even kissing him on his head and just tell him that I love him and that I'm thankful that he's changed and uh, look forward to taking pictures with my dad. And that's the thing about Christmas, man, that God, and he, he went through it. He, he was born in a manger. He was born in the coldness. There was no room for them. Right? And then it's amazing because if you look on your, uh, there, uh, probably almost out of, yeah, I'm almost out of time. So I'll let you guys read it on your, on your pieces of paper, the verses on Luke 2. But on there you see the angels. Imagine on the night, on the night that Jesus is born, right? This is amazing. And so between the Old Testament and New Testament, they say that there's 400 years of dead silence. Where God is not talking to the people of Israel no more. You are sinning so much, which means you are rebelling against me. And you are so lost so much. He was just done talking for those 400 years. Between the Old and the New Testament. And then all of a sudden, in one night, it's like there's this explosion of activity where God says, the king of kings is here. And then angels appear to these shepherds, right? If you know anything about shepherds, they were like they were like the rednecks of that time, right? Like they were like the hillbillies. Like they lived in the country, they lived on the hills. And these two shepherds in Bethlehem, they took care of the sheep that was to be sacrificed later. Think about the think about the connection here now. And these shepherds were considered to be lowly, they were considered to be untrustworthy. Uh, at times, these shepherds, uh, they weren't even allowed to speak in courts. 
Like, even if they were witnesses to something, you couldn't use the shepherds. Like, well, you know, this shepherd saw it. And like, no, you, couldn't, you shouldn't even mention that because that would make you sound bad. Because they were known as thieves and untrustworthy. They were dirty. They were smelly. It was like the lowest thing you could, you could do as a, as a job. Um, and so imagine God, the creator of this earth, the creator of us, that he chooses the most broken, broke down too, people that he uses these shepherds. He, so this angel appears, and all of a sudden they're taking care of the sheep. It's cold, it's night, it smells bad. They probably couldn't even tell that it smelled bad because they were probably used to it, right? And so they're just thinking in, uh, in the night and in the darkness. It's not like there were streetlights out, right? And then all of a sudden, this explosion of light happens. And they're frightened. And they're like, and they see this angel. And, you know, and we see the pictures out there where we see, like, you know, babies in diapers and they got little wings and stuff. That's not how these angels look, man. Others, otherwise, they'll be like, oh, right? Like, you know, no, they were frightened. Because those angels were, were, were warriors of God. They were soldiers. And so they appeared. And so these were powerful beings, powerful angels. And with them carries so much purity, the purity of God that was intended for us. But because of sin, it separated us. But this angel says, don't be scared. Don't fear. For I bring good news. He, in, in the Greek, he's preaching to them. He's like, I'm preaching evangelism. I'm preaching to you the good news that the Savior is here, that the King of kings is here. For thousands of years, for hundreds of years, they've been talking about this promised Messiah, this promised Savior, this King that will save them from the wretchedness, from, from, the, from the, all the brokenness, from their enemies. And that king is in a manger. So a lot of times when we look at our own life, we're like, man, that this, this whole God thing, this Christian thing, man, it's not for me. Like, if you know who I really am and what I've been through and what I've done, like, how can that connect with me? Like, I'm so unworthy. And, and it's like, man, he was born in the hood. He was raised in the hood. And the angel, and he came, though, to flip the world upside down. But it was really upside up because it was already upside down because of the sin and the bondage that was going on in our lives. Right? And so, and then this angel appears to untrustworthy shepherds, to these hillbillies, to these rednecks. And then he tells them, I have good news. What had been promised is here. And he is in a broke down manger where the animals eat from. And you're going to go look at him. So go tell them what, had ha what has happened here and the message that we send with you. And so the angel, and then right before the angel leaves, like this, this army shows up and it appears, and it means thousands of, and this is like a company, but it means thousands in the Greek. Thousands of angels like, like him. There are warriors. They're not little babies in diapers and wings. They are warriors, and they appear, and they're, and they're glorifying God. They're praising God because all this silence is broken now because the Savior is here. Your Savior is here. Your freedom is here. And it's beautiful. And so these shepherds run. 
And they run to go see what the angel sent, where he sent them. And they go and they find the baby in the manger, just like the angel had said. And then they tell Mary and everybody that's there about what, the, what had happened and what the angel said. And it says that the people there were, were pondering, were wondering everything that he was saying. But Mary was treasuring everything that they, that they were saying. Why? Because they confirmed what the angels had already told Mary before. You see, she knew what she had. And those were the shepherds that hand over the sheep to be sacrificed in the temple for their sins. Jesus later on would walk on earth, uh, would, be, would be doing ministry for three years, share the good news with everybody, and then go to the cross and give his life for our sins. He is the ultimate lamb, the only lamb that needs to be sacrificed for our sins. And today he is alive. Because even though the rulers, the religious rulers of that time tried to end him, they tried to shut him up. They actually worked with his plan. And he was victorious over death. We don't have to fear death no more. We don't have to fear the darkness that is in our lives at times anymore. We don't have to fear the weaknesses and the chains and the things that we go through in life anymore. Because he is known as Emmanuel, God with us. That's what it means, God with you. Say with me, God with us. God with me. That is who is with you. And all he is seeking is for you to share, bring your burdens to him. To bring ourselves in that moment like I found myself in that shower. Just honestly surrendering to him to wave our white flag and saying, I surrender, I give up. I can't do this alone. We can't do this alone. For thousands of years, the Israelites have been doing to, trying to do things on their own, figuring it out. And when the king was there, fulfilling all the, the hundreds of prophecies that was told about him, even when he's in their face, they kill him. We kill him because I believe that even, even in that, if that was this time, we would have killed him too because of our sins and our hatred. We're so blinded and we miss the blessings of God. So what is our prayer for today? So I can, and I'm sorry for going longer. Our prayer is that may we not miss the blessings that God has in this Christmas. That he is the blessing. But the thing about God, that the reason his name is God with us, because he loves you. Every single one of you. And your sin, he already knows about it. Your struggles, he already knows about it. Your, your, the, your pains, your burdens, he knows about them already. And as a matter of fact, he's saying, you know what, while you're embarrassed to tell me them, come, bring them to me, because I can get rid of them for you. Help me get rid of them with you. And so a lot of times we need to put Jesus in our darkness. We need to put Jesus on the things that are hurting us, that are holding us down, that are holding us captives. Because we can be free in this world and yet we can live in a prison out here. And I realized that after coming out of prison and, and coming out like a Jesus freak, just super excited. I'm, I'm like this baby Christian and I'm like, I'm ready to take on the world with Jesus. And then a few months later I'm like, just getting mediocre with my faith, my walk. 
because I got so many other distractions and things in my life. But the beautiful thing is that God kept sending me broken people like me that were friends that I got to love. People that have gone through so many different things, even things that I haven't struggled with, but it's their struggles, it's their war, it's their story. And God's like, remember how I helped you? And how I'm helping you? Because you ain't perfect. None of us are perfect. Go help them. And that's the good news of Jesus. After Jesus resurrected and he came back on the third day and, he, and he's spending time with the disciples, right? Because death can't hold him down from us. Nothing can hold him back from us. And he comes back and he's like, hey, yo, in case you don't know, all authority has been given to me. On heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. Go make more people followers of me. And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them all that I commanded you. And know that I am with you, Emmanuel, till the end of the age. He's not telling us to become religious. He's not telling us to live by laws and be worried about losing our salvation. He's telling us, live out your salvation daily. Live out my sacrifice for you daily in following me on your knees and walking. And we're not going to be perfect. And he knows that. But he's saying, walk with me. And this Christmas, as, as there's darkness, as there's depression, as there's stress, I just remember that. That he was born in a manger for us. He was born in the hood for us. He didn't come for the healthy. He didn't come for the perfect, even though there isn't any perfect. He came for the broken, for the hurting, for the sick. And for the lame. We are that lame. And in that, he's saying, I love you. I want you. And as a matter of fact, I love you so much that I want you to spend eternity with me. And in that heaven, in that kingdom that I'm going to first put in your heart before I take you into my heavenly kingdom, before I take you, I'm going to put it in your heart. And that kingdom is going to be with you. And those angels that those shepherds saw are going to be around you and walk with you. You just got to walk in that authority. You got to walk in that victory. And whatever obstacle or Goliath or anything that may taunt us or come our ways, we got to just remember, you know who our God is. The God of the armies, oh my God, is more powerful than anything. And those giants will fall. And I pray that our lives throughout this Christmas and even just even past it, man, even in the new year, that we may live a life of, of, of giants that are slayed. That may we live a life where it's a legacy worth leaving behind. Because when we die, that people can say, we know they're not in that box because of what they kept saying. We know that they are with the king of kings, and I want to go where they are. And I want to walk in that walk. I want what they have. And Jesus, it's so easy to attain, though, because he already did all the work for us. Amen? Amen. Amen.